welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about field scouting. But if you've got any questions for us about that or anything else that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. You can also find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so I, just to open things up here today before we get to the mailbag, field scouting, unbelievably important. I wish we could tell you for sure, oh, this bug's going to show up in your field this year at this time. Or this weed is going to be way worse than you thought. Or there's a new disease that's coming in that could strike your fields at this timing, so spray right here and you'll be great. We don't know any of those things. No one does. We just have to keep looking all the time. Mother Nature continues to throw curveballs at us, whether it's weeds, insects, diseases, even fertility things. Sometimes we say, I know I've done everything I think I should do for fertility in my corn or soybeans or whatever it is. It still doesn't quite look right, and it could be a fertility problem. So there's just so much to be thinking about all the time. And we would just encourage you, don't just scout from the road driving past your fields. Please get out in your fields, go from end to end, and just see what's happening. Spend time in your fields. It will pay off. So we'll talk about field scouting throughout the show. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, get this one that came in today. Uh, This came in from Travis. He said, guys, we put on 4,000 gallons of hog manure this spring per acre. I don't have a test for the manure to know exactly what's in that. Don't get those until after they spread. However, I did pull some soil samples in an area of corn that looked to be struggling. It's stunted, delayed emergence, burnt roots, and then I took another sample from a good area of the field to compare. I'm sending you both of those samples wondering, what do you think could be leading to this? If we put 4,000 gallons of manure everywhere, uh, there were a few streaks, and the streaks seem to be in the bad area. Right. Do you think that is the difference? Yep, I do. We've had the same thing happen on our farm before, too, and it doesn't always show up in the soil test. You would think that it would, but it can just be like a hot little spot or zone or whatever, and there's just excess salt there. That's almost always what it is. It's excess salt. So I I realize when you look at the sodium levels, for example, you go, I don't have that much sodium. I got 45 or 57 parts per million of sodium. Um, 0.8% on the base saturation test for sodium to 1.2. I mean, where it's bad, that that's, that's not a big deal. The biggest problem is the salt. And I realize when you look at your soluble salts, the numbers on the soil test look about the same. But I can promise you where you, you've got the bad area, the streaks, the more manure applied, you think about it just logically for a second. And you say, okay, on average, I put on 4,000 gallons per acre. But what does that mean in the streak? Does that mean six? I mean, 8,000? I mean, 10,000 in equivalent got into that streak? And this is hog manure. I mean, if it's dairy manure, I usually figure hog manure is about twice as potent, sometimes more. So, I mean, I just think about our own farm. If I was going to put 20,000 gallons of dairy manure on, I think, I, I don't think I'd have dead crop, but would I have stunted crop? Yeah, I would. No doubt. 
we've killed crop before from over application of manure. So I know what that looks like. I, I know what we did wrong. I, I, I mean, we've made plenty of these mistakes before ourselves and it's, it's just the way it goes. This is also why we talk so much about manure being applied in the fall. We'd rather have it applied in the fall, but we understand sometimes you have to put it on in the spring. So our ways around that is number one, we like to bury it, get it as deep as you can, as far away from the young seed and seedling as possible. Or two, you just have to cut the rate. So knowing this has now happened, there's nothing much you can do about it this year. But in the future, I just say those are my two options. I'm going to, number one, either try to bury it if I have to do spring application, or two, I'm just going to cut the rate, and then I doubt you'll see this stunting and this problem again in the future. Thanks for the questions. I got this one in from F, who says, I'm wondering... When you guys talk about phosphorus not moving in soil, I just added some on the top of my garden. Are you saying that's not going to move into the soil at all? I'm saying it moves really, really ridiculously slowly into the soil. So you want to either place it down into the soil, you want to till it down into the soil, or you're just counting on that natural rainfall and everything's going to move it into the soil but otherwise, all that's going to happen is it's that phosphorus for years is probably going to be in the top half inch of soil. If you have zero soil disturbance and you laid it on the surface, half an inch is about all I'd expect. So, in other words, a root would have to be that close to the soil surface in order to pick up that phosphorus that you applied. I get this one from David. He said, have you guys heard that we're about to run out of diesel oil? Apparently, there's only two companies making the additives for diesel oil, and they are out of these and it could be a year before there's any more in the supply line so how would we run our diesel engines on the same oil for a year have you guys heard this i haven't heard that exactly but i i do know this there's a lot of worry there's a lot of panic out there because of what's happened with russia and ukraine because of things we're shipping over to europe to try to help europe out because they're having troubles um i was just talking to somebody yesterday about the construction industry. And he said, yeah, I don't know when these things are going to come down or what needs to happen. And I said, well, I'll tell you one of the big things is the fuel price, the energy price. If energy prices came down, I'll promise you construction materials, those costs would come down because look at a lot of this stuff. A lot of it's literally just logistics. So if the logistics costs get cut by even 10 or 20 percent, all of a sudden, all these construction materials come down, and now you can build your house a little bit cheaper. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen here, but I know as a farmer and as someone who uses a lot of diesel and gasoline and just electricity, I mean, I don't like higher energy costs. So hopefully something changes in the not-too-distant future because it's not real great for the bottom line today, and it's not real great for our timelines on getting things done as quickly as we want to. All right, so again, today we're going to talk a little about field scouting. We'll hit that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact eMERGE planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. At AgPhD, we want to support anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event. In-field sessions include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So this is one event that you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio talking about field scouting today. If you'd like to talk about what you're seeing out in your fields or if you have any agronomic questions, our phone lines will be open at 844-44-AG-PHD throughout the show today. Let's head over to Minnesota. We've got our friend Ben Ice with us right now with Ice's Soil Restoration. Ben, how are you doing today? Good. How you doing? So. Well, doing pretty good. It's been a very interesting spring, though, to say the least. Uh, I'm betting you're seeing some things out in fields that don't happen every year. Well, there's a lot of there was a lot of situations where guys called and said, "What do we do?" And as soon as it was close to fit, it went. So when we get out and dig, we'll see what the sidewall compaction or smearing looks like. Um, we'll see how depth placement went, weeds, grass is already starting to flush. Um, it was, it was, it's, I mean, some guys just got finished up. So I know you do a lot of work with nutrition for plants, Ben. And when you think about these tough conditions we planted into, that makes it a lot tougher for our crops to get the nutrition that they need. Uh, what are some of the things that you'd watch out for and, and how can we remedy it where maybe there's just some spots, maybe it's five or 10% of a field that we're a little tough to get into. Uh, what are some things we should watch for and how can we help the crop along during the season? Well, the biggest thing with the wet spots and the compacted spots or the salt spots, when you push out into even way Western and Dakotas too, um, we need to look at, <clears throat> can we top dress any lime if that's possible? some lime or some gypsum um do we need to do any foliating or any growth regulators things to help things out um it's just it's on a case-by-case basis depending on the zones if they haven't done zones or grids yet i would recommend they do that so that we can get proactive in the future to alleviate those challenges or make them less worse when they come next time 
So, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the soil sampling, and I know that's a big part about what you do and and help growers do. Uh, when you think about plant tissue testing, I, I I like pulling those tissue tests right where I pulled my soil test, so I can do a little comparison and see what's actually getting into the plant. What do you think about the in season testing uh, of plant tissue and also of soils? Is, is that something growers are doing on a regular basis? It depends on the grower and what level of aggressiveness he's at. Um, I think tissue tests help. Um, I like to see them when you're probably before V5, V6, and then probably one before tassel. I mean, two of them is a good start. Um, Some guys are doing them weekly. They start to show you patterns of how well you're doing with your current fertility and what you could do with either some foliars or you could actually start planning for amendments this fall or next spring to get proactive on the nutrient flows. Now we see some plants that, especially uh, I, I'm expecting this week, we're going to see a lot of nutrient deficiencies show up with uh, what, what some agronomists will term as fast growth of the crop or whatnot, but we're just not getting enough zinc or sulfur or uh, a number of different nutrients into those plants. Are there certain nutrients that you're really on the watch out for this year? Well, the biggest one will be the guys that did or didn't apply sulfur. Sulfur will help with a lot of these situations and then looking at where their zinc levels are and things like that. But a lot of times we would look and we say it's nitrogen, but a lot of times it's sulfur. And so with some of the extremes we've had, um, I would anticipate seeing some yellowing the minute this fast growth starts. So, Yeah, I, I agree. Out. Top top yeah. leaves yeah. especially, and, mm-hmm. and that's yep. a, a good yep. trigger. Um, you know, when we're looking at this, Ben, uh, you've got a lot of growers that are trying to build up soils. Uh, as growers are putting on build programs and, and trying to move things forward or putting on high rates of manure, those types of things, um, what should we watch for? And are there some nutrients that even though we may have applied quite a bit this year, they probably aren't going to show up for a while? Um, that one, <clears throat> that's on a case-by-case basis as far as like now if you applied zinc and you put a heavy rate on, say, you're only, if you go to resoil test it the first year, you don't, and like, like the tests that I use, you only might see half of it or a quarter of it. So some of the nutrients, they take a while to, they'll get in the plant pretty fast, but like if you're going to go back and soil test and check on your progress, it might take a little while with the mineralization, the rainfall, if you're drought, you're flooding, you know, where you're at and all that stuff, so. Yeah, lots to watch for in fields, and I guess the real encouragement is just to get out there, look around, and if you've got questions, uh, talk to somebody that can help you or talk to somebody else that might have some experience. We're lucky to have one of those people with us today. We've got Ben Ice with Ice's Soil Restoration from Minnesota. Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. All right. Thanks for your time. Let's head down to Tennessee. Got Tom Evans with us. He's an agronomist down there. Tom, how are you doing? Oh man, we're just barely getting by as hot as it is. Oh, we're we're getting the heat up here finally today too. It's been cool all spring, and we're we're finally getting some heat, and and that of course means things are going to change out in fields. There's going to be some stress on crops and so forth. What are some of the things you're watching for in fields right now? Well, we're really concerned because of this heat that's coming. Is there's a lot of corn got planted into wet soil, which means we got some serious sidewall compaction going on. And that's going to cause a problem now that this heat's coming on. The roots can't get through that sidewall to get to that moisture that it needs to down into the lower level of the, of the profile. 
Yeah, that that we were hearing the same thing uh, from Ben up in Minnesota just a minute ago that uh, some of the planting conditions were not ideal, and I, I know it. A lot of farmers said, "Well, I'm I'm happy to just have the crop in the ground at some point because it really drug out on yeah, us." Yeah, that's but- you know. Well, Janelle called me and she she asked. She said this was about you know uh, crop field scouting, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, a good portion of field scouting is also scouting that field before you plant it. But when it gets yes, when the timeline and the time frame and it starts getting narrower and narrower, farmers just say, well, it's better off just to get it in the ground and get something out of it than nothing. Yeah, it's it's tough. Brian Brian talks about this a lot. Sometimes we'll argue about this, and I'll I'll be saying, "Oh man, we should just wait. We should just wait." And and uh, Brian sometimes has to be the realist and say, "You know, it's just not an ideal world out there. Stuff's gonna happen, and sometimes you you got to just take your chances on things." But but you're right. We got yep. uh, we got some corn out there that's gonna be struggling, and we're gonna see it soon here as this heat comes on. How about disease and and bugs and those types of things? Are you seeing anything show up in any of the crops down there? Uh, yet? Diseases right now. Uh, nothing currently at the moment, but now, like I said, it is getting ready to be extremely hot with very high humidity. A lot of these crops that's already got canopy on them, you're going to start seeing a lot of moisture up underneath and just, you know, prime growing conditions for diseases to, to, to live up underneath there. And, and, you know, I've, I tell producers all the time, you know, the single most important thing you can do besides planting is to go out and visually view whatever it is you're growing, uh, whether that be hay, whether that be corn, beans, cotton. You're not just going to plant it and turn around and walk off and leave it and then come back and harvest. That that would just be plumb silly. So the most important thing you can do is get out there, look at this stuff on a daily basis, if not a a three times a week basis so that you can get some kind of idea of what's changing in your, in your fields, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. And not, and not the it's, 55 it's mile an hour, uh, two window down scouting either. <laughs> exactly. Not from the road scouting, actually going out into those fields, you know, your fields, I was telling you, I say, hey, you know, your fields, you've been watching your yield monitors, you know, where your good yields are, where you're not so good yields are from year to year. You've, you've took note of that in your brain. You need to go to those spots. That's where you need to be going and looking. And, and it's extremely hard when it's 100 degrees outside and the humidity is like 90 and you're, you're just struggling. I get it. But whew, it's the most important thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And uh, you just got to get up early in the morning. You got to get out there right after the sun goes down, those types of things to do whatever you can. You got to be safe out there. I, I totally get that. I, I'm pretty fair skinned, Thomas. So uh, that means I got to be out there when the sun isn't too hot, but. Oh, I am too. I have to wear long <laughs> sleeves and a big brim hat whenever I get out there, now, which means I got to drink more water. Absolutely. That is a great reminder. Make sure uh, you're up on your water intake here too, as you're out scouting. We're talking with Thomas Evans. Down in yeah, Tennessee. and don't wait and start drinking water when you're out in the field either. That's uh, that's another big mistake people make. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Well, Tom, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Stay safe. Hey, you too. Thanks. Talking about field scouting on today's Ag PhD radio show, and we'll be right back after this. Take a second and listen. 
You hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough-to-reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attach to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvest will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com slash endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. Its easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine. Weather or not, relentless. That's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio Man. Just talking to Tom Evans down in Tennessee. I was thinking, ah, oh, I don't like those 100-degree humid days to get out there and scout either, but... You got to keep an eye on things, especially when there's a lot of stress. And then, of course, we got Jeremy Jack on next to this down in Mississippi. And you're used to it, Jeremy, with that heat and humidity having to be out there scouting. How do you do it? Uh, it's so much better than the cold weather. So much better than the cold <laughs> Well, you got, you got your trade-offs, right? You got your trade-offs. It's a good time of year. Uh, uh, you know, things when you got this type of heat and you've got type of moisture we got underneath us right now things are just taking off and growing right now so it's a good i think it's a a good problem to have to be warm we've been we've been kind of cool cool i would say for this time of year for so it's finally warming up and the cotton is really uh enjoying it 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. And and we are going to see that rapid growth. And for a lot of growers, they think about green snap and some of those issues that are potentials. But by the same token, we all love seeing corn go from knee high to, to shoulder high in, in just a couple of weeks and, and get that tassel out and get us excited about how things are looking. So talk to us about the cotton, because I know uh, there was a struggle for some guys getting stuff in this year. And, and like you said, we've been cold, so it hasn't really come along like it has uh, normally. What what should we be looking for out in the cotton fields? You know, we uh, the first got the cotton planted. It was cool, just not real hot, and uh, the cotton really wasn't taking off. So the the uh, thrips were just kind of beating the cotton down constantly, and uh, we uh, we had to make a couple applications to um, uh, you know some acetate or some bidrin to uh, to get that 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 beat back and let the cotton take off. And then we've had a couple. Nice little inch rains, and then this warm temperatures really shot the cotton up. So two things that we're looking at is we're getting ready for, you know, start working on plant bugs, beating them back. But also we went from not getting the cotton to grow or trying to spray something on it so it would grow to now we're having to use picks or plant growth regulators to uh, limit its height because it's taken off so good now. So it's, um, you know, it's hurry up and slow back down. Yeah, what a, what a year, no doubt about it. Okay, talk to us about some of the other crops that you got going. I know uh, you work with a lot of different crops down there. Um, are there there's some some big things going on? You mentioned thrips and plant bugs. Uh, got got some weed issues already that that are popping up. I would imagine the pigweed is loving this heat too. It is, it is. You know, and that's the the one thing that we're looking at right now is uh, really with the uh, the new label restrictions on spraying the, some of the auctions is you have a really small window. It's been a really windy year also. So uh, your windows to spray some of these crops have been very tight. So uh, we're trying to make do with what we have. We added more uh, ground machines to spray more uh, fields because we either got, I told someone it's either the wind's too high, the field's too muddy, or uh, you don't have any wind at all. Uh, something's always keeping you from uh, hitting that perfect timing application. And now the crop's growing really big, which is going to be another limitation to us. So we are uh, uh, trying to get as much weed control uh, uh, down as we can. We always overlay our residuals on the operation to uh, make sure that gives us a little bit more flexibility. Uh, But uh, that's the big thing right now is trying to stay ahead of the weeds using ground machines or uh, calling in the airstrike when necessary to uh, stay ahead of the game. How big is the early planted corn? Have you got stuff tasseled out yet, or is it uh, still got a ways to go? No, our earliest planted corn, which was later for us this year, but we're we're about 10 days into, into tassel right now on the earliest of the corn, and then we're probably, the latest corn's probably 10 days from tassels. So it's a, I consider it a very large window for us. Uh, the corn's looking really good. Um, we uh, haven't had to, with the timely rains we've had, we have yet to have to irrigate, but that's the other thing that we're looking for is when it turns 100 degrees and corn's tasseling out, you don't, it doesn't take long to go from nice, uh, an inch long rain doesn't last real long. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure with this kind of heat coming. Uh, we're speaking with Jeremy Jack down in Mississippi. Jeremy, thank you so much. I know you're super busy, but really appreciate you taking the time and giving us an update on how things are going down there. Great talking to you. You bet. It's at another warm place. You got Caleb Trout with us over in Georgia with Trout Ag Services. Caleb, how you doing? I'm doing good, Darren, and you are correct. We are quite warm out here this week. 
Well, it's always warm to me in Georgia compared to where I'm at at home. But uh, when it, when you say it's warm for even you, that that tells me there could be a lot of potential. I'm betting the dryland acres are, are feeling that pressure. Yes, it has. And this time of year, our rains are very spotty. So some areas are really dry. Some areas are holding on their own. But our highs are between 95 and 100. And this week, our, our heat index or as we call it, our wind chill is about 105 to 110 this week. So there's definitely a lot of things happening in fields. All right. You've been posting a lot of pictures, and, and I've been kind of following a little bit. I know you've been out doing a lot of digging and these types of things. I'm betting the, the root system development is sure going to pay off when you get temperatures like this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, from the get-go, we start even in furrow putting on things that are going to help us with root development, making sure our tillage is in place because when when the heat comes and we've got corn searching for water right now, especially in the dry land, uh, we need as many uh, fine root hairs out there and we need to keep them healthy throughout the year too. So we've got to watch things happening below ground with pests and diseases to make sure we not only start strong with a good root system, but we maintain that root system all the way till maturity. Yeah, that's a big, big deal. And I know you're working with a number of different crops over a bigger area than just a narrow spot in Georgia. What are you seeing as you travel around? Do you see any surprising things this year with bugs or diseases or, or just crop growth in general? Well, I guess right now, uh, speaking of corn, because that's what the majority of my work focuses around, uh, down here in South Georgia, North Florida, uh, pretty much all the southern rust in the country comes from comes through this area. So we've got three counties in Georgia that have confirmed southern rust. So if we don't see any in fields, it's probably due to us just not being able to uh, look at the fields well enough. So making sure that we've uh, got timely fungicide applications, which most growers do around tassel time, put out a fungicide. But now that our corn is R2 to R4, and making sure we're out there in the field to see if maybe our fungicides are starting to run out if we need to go out with another application because with these commodity prices like we are, we need every bushel we can get. Yeah, no doubt about that. And and uh, you talk about R2 to R4 corn. That's exactly when we're seeing guys with heavy disease pressure going out with another fungicide. Do you have a window? Do you recommend anything two, two weeks in between, three weeks in between fungicides? Or, or when are guys scouting or when are they making that reapplication? It's going to depend on the fungicides we use. If we're just using like a generic two-way or if we're going full strength with a three-mode of action with some good uh, good actors in the products we're using, we may be able to stretch it up to about three weeks. But once we get past that three weeks, we're running on barred time. So, uh, you know, if dry land, if the yield potential is quite moderate and we have to watch what we put onto a field, that's something we need to take into consideration. But if we're, if we got good yield potential, we need to stay with it. And it also, if we're going over the field, uh, we can also look at our, our tissue samples or any nutrient deficiencies in the field and not only apply a fungicide, but maybe some nutritional products, things to keep the stress off of the corn plant uh, to get us through uh, black layer. All right, quick update. So let's switch to a different crop. Uh, we got about a minute left, Caleb. How about on the peanut crop? What are you seeing out there? Well, the peanuts, they are coming on along. Uh, 
we've pretty much finished up planting. So right now we're just out making sure that we have a good stand of peanuts uh, and then starting our fungicide programs, being timely with those. But right now, really keeping the weeds at bay. It seems like they're popping up every day. So we need to make sure that we kill all the weeds that are out in the fields and then have overlaying residuals. So be out there in the fields looking for any skip spots, missed areas, things that we need to hit again to make sure we have a clean field. 105 to 110 heat index in Georgia, and our friend Caleb is still out in the fields keeping an eye on things. Caleb, take care of yourself and be safe down there. Really appreciate the update. Hey, thanks for the call. Enjoyed it. Talking about field scouting on today's program, and we are taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844. 44 Ag PhD. You've got a number of questions that have come into the Ag PhD mailbag. You can also email us a question if you'd like, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to those questions coming up right after this. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts you gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air 
it's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about field scouting today, but Brian has been scouting the markets. Uh, I don't know if any of you find yourself in that same thing where you have a dream price, and when it gets close to that, you just kind of get, I don't know, a little bit obsessed with looking at the markets. Brian? No, I'm definitely not obsessed with looking (laughs) at the markets. What our grandpa Hefty always told us is, you want to get at least an average price. Well, that's easy to do if you sell one twelfth of your crop every month, or better yet, sell one fifty-second of your crop every week. And he's absolutely right. He just always said, "Well, they say that two thirds of the farmers sell in the bottom third of the market. So if you just get an average price, you've already beaten two thirds of the farmers, and then that means you get to spend, or you have to spend no time on grain marketing." So 100% of your time better be spent raising a better crop. So that means you should also be able to raise at least a slightly better crop than the average person out there. So if you've beaten the average on yield, you've beaten the average on price, he said, your odds of going broke are pretty slim. Anyway, (laughs) that's just one one man's theory. But I I will say this, I've been looking at or hoping that I could get eight bucks for, for my new crop corn that's going for silage and that silage is going to get cut in august and i look at the august price right now it's pretty close to eight bucks for us locally so um that's as as a crop farmer that's super exciting now on the other end on the livestock side not super exciting but you know these things go up and down I, i mean we've obviously seen that for years but if we can have a good price out there and at least a halfway decent yield, then that means we get to invest more in our farming operations. So a lot of people look at farmers and think, oh, they're just taking the money, whatever. We invest that money right back into the farm. We build more bins. We buy new equipment. Uh, we invest in things like tile to make our land better, or even fertility. A lot of people look this year, they're, they're cutting back on fertilizer. Well, you can't cut back for very long or pretty soon you deplete the soil and you make it worth less money and, and you're just not going to have as good a crop moving forward. So if we build that soil up, take our dollars, invest that into the soil, we make things better for the future generations. All right. All right, Brent, let's, get back to let's, let's just questions. say you're, let's just oh, say go you're going to jump on $8 corn. And I, I know this is something that a lot of guys are like, man, I love the corn price or I love the bean price or whatever the crop may be for next year. If you're talking about new crop stuff and you say, I don't think it's going to last and you find a great new crop price, you got to buy the fertilizer or whatever the big inputs are to go into that too. Cause yeah, but we're talking this year's crop. We're yeah, not talking yeah, next yeah, year's. If you've we're already got everything paid for. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. If you're talking this year's crop and you've already got all the inputs paid for, you already know what your costs right. are, so you know what right. profit you'd be locking in. Well, not necessarily because you don't know what your yield is. And that's where a lot of people are always like, talking about break even. And I go, well, how, you don't know break even until the, after all your harvest is done because you don't know how many bushels you have, what your drying cost is. I mean, and any more, the logistics expense and what the trucking cost is even, I mean, that can enter into this thing. So you don't know exactly, but you at least can have estimates and you can at least have goals and and ranges of where you kind of want to be. But anyway, this is not a grain marketing show. So let's get back to agronomy. What kind of questions you got for us next there, Darren? All right, Brian, uh, 
get a well i get a number of them um this one came in from lola what are your thoughts on haney soil tests or other soil tests that are like that that are talking about nutrients and also soil health yeah soil health tests they're fine if you need a quantitative number for let's say it's a government program or something else i understand why they require that and they want you to hit a certain level okay For me and my farm, I don't feel it's necessary because I can take a soil test. Like I'm just looking at, for example, the soil test that one of our listeners sent in and earlier in the show we were talking about. So I got the soil test sitting here in front of me. All right, with this soil test alone, I have a really good idea of whether that soil is healthy or not. So things that I would be looking for in a normal soil test include how's my soil organic matter level? If it's 1% or 2%, I know my soil isn't nearly as healthy as if that organic matter level is 5 If my pH, like in this case, one of the soil pH spots, it's 5.7. Is that going to be as healthy as a spot that's 6.5? On average, no, it's not. If I have excessive sodium or soluble salts, is that soil going to be as healthy? No. If I see some of the leachables in the soil, like nitrate, sulfate, and boron are off the charts high, well, that indicates to me poor drainage. Is that soil going to be as healthy as one that's well-drained? No. So there are a lot of factors that I can determine just from a regular soil test and say, all right, that soil looks to me like it's pretty healthy versus one that isn't. So I don't feel it's super necessary for me and my farm. If you ever want to send us your regular soil tests, we can sure take a look at those and, and give you at least some idea of whether or not that soil is healthy. But another way that you can you can do this without spending a lot of money is just go digging around a little bit if it looks like you have good soil structure deep roots and you are getting good yields well the odds are pretty high that your soil is quite healthy all right thanks for the question got this one that came in from brandon he said guys uh responding and getting back about the other day's question about the co-op over applying 15 pounds of actual zinc yeah I'm shooting for 250 bushel corn and 85 bushel beans. They don't think it's going to hurt me at all having a whole bunch of extra zinc out there, but it looks like it's going to take me 44 years at 250 bushel corn and 85 bushel beans to draw that zinc level down to where I want it to be. Whoa. I don't I, Okay. What 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 parts per million is he at now? Okay. Though? Doesn't doesn't say. Yeah, he but, did in his question cuz I remember this from a week or two ago. It was yeah. only getting it up to 7 or 9 or something and I'm like that's not that high. We have some that's 15 or even 20. So, I'm not that worried about it. I I, I you want to get your phosphorus levels up higher. Okay. I just remember so that his phosphorus the, levels were only like 30 parts per million. That's not enough okay. to raise 250 and 85. So, no here's way. the phosphorus end of this. So, he said yep. my current P1 to zinc ratio will now be five to one and soybeans four to one. And so I'm wondering, should I bite the bullet and add over 300 pounds of DAP plus crop removal this fall just to get the right balance? I'm wondering, uh, I'm a young farmer. I just bought another farm and I don't have a ton of extra cash to throw around, but I am willing to pay that extra interest if you think it's worth it. Uh, I'm just feeling... uh, like uh, I'm doing pretty good, but it feels like I'm taking two steps back with this mistake. Talk no, me off the ledge. No, 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 no. I wouldn't get that worried about it. So first of all, a lot of our data, ha- it hasn't been 10 to 1. It's been closer to 8 to 1 where it's been pretty good, maybe even 7 to 1. I, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly what the numbers are. But 5 to 1, 4 to 1, um, am I a little concerned about it? Sure, I'm a little concerned about it. But... 
that's not figuring what you're doing for applied phosphorus. You're apply besides that P1 to zinc ratio of that, you already calculated in what the zinc applied was. I don't think, if I remember right from this question a week or so ago, you didn't calculate in the phosphorus you applied. And even if you did, if let's say you go broadcast a bunch more phosphorus, it's similar to when you broadcast a bunch more zinc. Think about it this way. If you go broadcast a bunch of phosphorus, what do they say about broadcast phosphorus versus banded? That you can put on a lot less if you're banding. So what I'm trying to say here is you could certainly go out and band a little bit more phosphorus to get a little more uptake of phosphorus in the short term and improve your ratio in the short term phosphorus to zinc. So long term, I want your soil test levels higher. I, if I remember right, it was only 30 parts per million, maybe 50. But at 30, that is not enough to consistently raise 250 bushel corn and 85 bushel beans in my experience. Maybe you're a, you've figured out a way to do it. I sure have not. I want to get my, my phosphorus levels up higher anyway. So if I've got my phosphorus levels at 80 parts per million on a P1 or 100 parts per million, I am much happier. I feel a lot better. But anyway, no, I, I, I'm not that worried about it. I, I would, because part of his other question was, I, I just remember from before, was he said, the co-op wants to charge me the in-season price for that zinc. I'd go back to the co-op, like I said before, and I'd tell him, hey, it was your screw-up. I, I mean, at least give me the prepay price. And I, I also said, you know, mistakes do happen. And if you're willing to kind of work with somebody, they'll usually give you a break on something else. And I'd say, look, I, you know, just help me out here. It, give me give me at least the prepay price on that. Help me out with something else, whatever. Give me a deal on some phosphorus so I can at least bump my phosphorus level a little bit. you got a lot of ways to go. But I, I know this. If you talk to almost any high-yield farmer, they're going to talk about have, wanting to have high zinc levels in that soil. It's important. So no, I'm, I'm not that worried about it. I think in the long term, you're going to be just fine. We'll get to more of your questions right after this on Ag PhD Radio. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. 
Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Get this one from Don in southeast Wisconsin. He said, I found RFD TV over a year ago on DirecTV, and I found your show. We own 107 acres, which we're leasing out part of that, about a third of it, to a local dairy farmer. Uh but I found out, uh, even though I didn't grow up on a farm, never lived on a farm, I, I found out I can utilize a lot of your information on my home garden and food plots. Uh, my question today is about something you mentioned a few weeks ago. You were talking about a liquid product to unbind calcium and other minerals from Roundup. I'm on a private well, and our water tests are always good. But I'm wondering, what is the product mentioned that improved Roundup's ability to work? My, Darren had my microphone shut off, or Janelle, or somebody. So it was um, a nice break. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, so anyway, I I, I don't remember exactly what we talked about, but I know we're this: about we water have, right, or we we're talking about MegaGrow, um, or are, ammonium sulfate. Yeah, those are the so, those are the three things that that we would talk about around this product commonly. Oh, okay, so let's start with this. With many different herbicides, but Roundup especially, we worry about the tie-up where excess calcium or iron or magnesium in that water can bind with the active ingredient of the herbicide to somewhat neutralize it. So the concern is in really hard water, if you're going to the field with Roundup and you think, oh, I'm spraying 32 ounces per acre, by the time you get to the field, those elements in the water, that hard water, have reduce the effectiveness of the Roundup. So now it's only like spraying 24 ounces or 27 ounces or something like that. Okay. So to compensate for that, what we do is add a, what we call a sequestering agent where it will tie up or bind with the, those hard water ions. So ammonium sulfate is a good example of a product we've used over the years. Now ammonium sulfate has other benefits too, because it contains nitrogen and sulfur. 
then water right was is another product that we've mentioned quite often here to do the same type of thing but it doesn't have the nitrogen component that the ammonium sulfate would now either way what we find is that we lower the water ph a little bit because quite often the excess magnesium and calcium in the water is raising the ph so you get double benefit out of this you bind those nutrients before they can neutralize your herbicide plus the herbicide will typically work better when that water ph is just a little lower okay now on a completely separate note post emerge when you are spraying glyphosate onto over the top of a crop what we often see especially with high rates of glyphosate being used is what we call yellow flash where the leaves will turn somewhat yellow and that indicates that the plant is having trouble compartmentalizing that roundup very quickly roundup isn't technically um, broken down or or well it's it, it's just not broken down in the plant so what it does is it'll shove that roundup into certain areas of the plant and it's a it's, it's just a little bit different than some of these other herbicides that do get broken down by plants so anyway i know i'm going into a lot of detail here but mega grow is the only patented safener that there is for roundup and it helps that plant recover and when so when you look at the different hormones that are are working in the plant you'll see much better levels of good growth hormones and fewer and a lower level of stress hormones in the plant when mega grow is in there with the roundup versus roundup by itself so that's a completely separate thing from that water tie-up but those are the two things that we typically talk about all right thanks for the question i get this one from stan he said i've got a uh, some sample results here from Midwest Labs on poultry litter. The litter averages 50% moisture over all the samples. And I'm wondering, uh, when I read the, the pounds that I would be spreading there, is it in, do I still have to take 50% off that for water, or is that measuring it no. out as dry? Okay, so it, it's... Hey, first of all, Stan... Good job getting a test done on the poultry litter before you spread it. That's awesome. Now you can make the right plan. You can take a look and see, okay, what have I got here and exactly how much should I use? Because what we found a lot of times, people who are trying to get rid of poultry litter or manure or compost or whatever, they just say, oh, no, guys normally spread this much. Well, you know how we feel about that. You don't want to spread the exact same amount of stuff everywhere because soils really vary. All right, so anyway, what you always want to do when you're getting results from a lab is just talk to the lab if you have questions about how that lab does it. So I, I don't want to step in the middle of that, but knowing the lab that you're working with here, I would just say it says right on the top, estimated first-year availability, pounds per ton. So it's not pounds per ton of dry matter it's pounds per actual ton. And that actual ton does contain, in this case, 60% moisture. So that that's how I would be using that. So just as an example, he had circled here 17 pounds of potassium, 2 pounds of sulfur. So with each ton of actual material you apply, you're getting 17 pounds of potassium, 2 pounds of sulfur for first-year availability. And for total availability, it says 18.6 and 4.6, respectively, for the K and the, and the sulfur. 
All right, now I get a couple rapid-fire ones for you here. This one comes from R.A.B. who says, Most commercial seeds, whether it's corn or other crops, are developed and selected under heavy fertilization by the seed companies. So when farmers don't apply enough fertility, I believe the genetic potential is there, but the plant food just isn't there to make it happen. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know that it. I I don't know that I would say it's heavily fertilized. First of all, well, I, I'd say this. We've got. Let's just take corn. We know the world record's over six hundred bushel corn. Yet the average yield is less than two hundred bushel corn. Yep. So does fertility and management and great weather make a huge difference for that crop to reach its genetic potential? Of course well, it does. Absolutely. Of course it does. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Rab. Whether they breed it in high fertility ground or average fertility ground, there's just a ton of yield potential there that we're not getting. And nutrients are one piece of it. But of course, you need a good growing season. Why? Why doesn't the world record corn grower raise six hundred bushel corn on every acre every Every year because weather plays a big factor as well uh, but thanks for the comment really appreciate that uh, this one comes from mw who said i've got very low ph water you often talk about high ph water and bringing that high ph down what if i've got super low ph water uh, do you think if i dug a well and limed it with limestone brick that that would help the quality of the water uh, or what if I dumped something into that well? Would you do it that way, or would you just try to make some sort of adjustment as you take it out? How, how low is the water pH? Uh, very acidic, he said. He's yeah, not how, sure. How He's in California, and he said uh, they, the building and planning people say that well water would be very acidic. You know what, MW? Uh, I don't think you know unless you test. Right. I, I, I would try and get a water sample and, and see or talk to some other people around there that may have wells and get a sample from their well and see what the water quality is. And did you say what he was going to be spraying? Uh, no. Okay. He's just asking about water. Yeah. So when we talk about spraying herbicides, well, we were just talking about Roundup. Honestly, I'd like my my water pH to be five, five and a half, something like that. I seriously doubt your well water is below five. I, I mean, I'd be shocked. So test it. Let us know. All right, uh, I got this from Chris. He said you guys talk about the types of root systems, but you haven't talked about different grass species like bluegrass versus fescue or something like that. Consider that for a future segment. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for checking out our show, Chris. Thanks for your support. Really appreciate that. And and yeah, the roots are super important, whether it's grass or or different crops too. I agree with you. Uh, get this one from JB. He said, you guys talk about snowfall up there and counting moisture out of that? Uh, I usually figure you need 10 inches of snow to make one inch of rain. What do you guys think about that? Uh, you know, we figured 12, but yes, it all depends on if it's wet and heavy, if it's light and dry. I mean, so it, that can really vary. Hey, uh, coming back to that pH thing, I just sent something out the other day to a bunch of agronomists that are training for or with, and I, I, I sent them some stuff from the Southern Minnesota Beet Co-op that some of their trial data from 2019. And one of the things that they had in there is they were getting better results on fungicide when the water pH was five instead of seven, just as an example. So when we start, when you say, oh, I've got acidic water, well, that's anything below seven. And we want acidic water for our fungicides, for herbicides, for a lot of the different things that we are going to be applying to crops. So nothing to get super concerned about unless you had, well, anyway, let us know what that BH is. I'm curious. Thanks for listening to today's program and be sure to join us again each weekday 
for more Ag PhD Radio.